All right. Well, welcome back to Three Guys in a White Coat, the podcast where we try to give you our insights on the pathway to getting into medical school, which is challenging. Um, and not three guys in a white coat today, just two guys. Uh, Matt Semler has off uh, his uh, collegiate uh, responsibilities for being a Badger fan for Wisconsin are more important today. Yeah. Matt had to go over to Wisconsin to go watch the Badgers play Northwestern. And uh, they actually killed it. The Badgers are they're doing really well this year. I'm happy for Matt. He gets to watch them. He's happy right now. Um, so, yeah, it's just going to be me and Matt today. And for our disclosure, you guys, just remember, what we talk about today are not rules. They're not things that you have to do to go to medical school. It's just to give you guys some guidelines of things that you can think about while you're doing this. So with that, today we are joined by Maria. She is an M2 with us here at Loyola, and we're going to get her story today. So, Maria, can you just start by telling the viewers, you know, like where you're from, where you went to college, um, just like the basics of, of who you are. Yeah. Um, this is so fun. Excited to be here. <laughs> um, um, I'm from New Jersey originally, so East Coast girl. And I went to college at a University of Michigan. Mm-hmm. Um, and I originally started college as an engineering major. Um, and I almost went to college as a theater major. So um, wow. it's certainly been a lot of zigs and zags uh, to med school. Um, but yeah, so I did engineering at Michigan and I ended up doing biomedical engineering. So that was sort of the first intro to the medical world. And I took four years off, um, between undergrad and med school before starting here at Stritch. That's great. So, I mean, did, I mean, were you working as a, as a biomedical engineer after uh, undergrad? Some of the time. Um, so actually right after college, I moved to um, New York and I worked in HIV um, clinical trial research, specifically looking at um, HIV vaccines. And when I was there, I was also getting a nutrition degree. And I was kind of doing that to see, like when I graduated from college, I liked engineering, I liked biomedical devices and that sort of stuff. But a lot of my experiences in undergrad, I shadowed doctors. And so I was curious of more of a clinical space, but I really never thought med school a lot because I was not someone who was particularly excited for like four more years of classes and more standardized tests and all that kind of <laughs> yeah. stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, and I, so I was, no, I'd never go to med school, but maybe I'd be interested in research or more public health type thing. Um, and so then after living in New York, I was actually calling a boss from undergrad for a reference um, to uh, for another job that was in sort of clinical research. And she was like, would you ever consider moving back to Michigan and working with me um, in an engineering program at the university that dealt with um, low-cost devices for sub-Saharan Africa? So I did that um, for the next like two and a half years before starting at Stretch. Wow. So wait, when you say low-cost devices for sub-Saharan Africa... Please explain to, to, <laughs> yeah. to those of us who are, are uh, less engineering oriented. Yeah. So um, stop me because I could talk about this for a really long time, but um, let me know when I'm getting boring. But so basically when I was in undergrad, I was an engineer and I've always loved math since I was a little kid. That's actually how my parents would get me to do things like, oh, Maria, it's bedtime. If you go right now, we'll give you a math problem. <laughs> um, and I'd literally sprint to my bed. It's not a joke. Wow. Or yeah, like if they wanted me to be quiet always been chatty. They'd be like, here is, you know, a math book or whatever. Um, I've always loved math. And so when I went to college, I didn't know what I wanted to major in. Like I said, I was interested in theater, but I I knew I didn't want it to be my life. I was like, okay, I like math. I'll do engineering. Um, And then I got there and it was very, um, well, 
engineering typicalness, not a lot of creativity, and I just was very bored with my classwork when I was a freshman. And then I saw um, a professor speak, and she talked about how engineers, you know, they get this rap for like being non-creative and you know only math and figuring out these like scientific mechanical problems. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that leads to sometimes like super high tech and interesting devices, but it also leads to things that people don't actually need or the communities don't actually like want necessarily, but what the engineers want. And so she gave this whole talk on how uh, medical devices that are donated or sent to low and middle income countries, um, they typically are never used. And this was sort of like the first time I ever thought about something that then I ended up thinking about and working in for a long time, and I'm still really passionate about that um, the WHO actually does studies, and every year it's anywhere between like 70 and 85% of every single medical device or supply that gets shipped from a high-income country to a low-income country is either broken on arrival or never used. Why don't, why don't, is it because like they don't know how to use it? So it's, there's a, like a lot of things that go into it. A big part of it is that it's not appropriate for use. So things like, um, the batteries that go into it are not sold in that country, Mm, or maybe it's something that that country, like here in the U S we use all the time. Like for example, something that's like sharps containers or something that in the U S everyone wants like the newest sharp container and the really like high tech ones that like open up. And in a lot of countries there, in a lot of countries, it's like, we really don't need this thing. That's like using electricity to automatically open our sharps container is great. We're going to throw that out, you know? Um, or it might be things that like are literally broken when they get there because engineers didn't think into this has to be, you know, shipped. Also it has to sometimes live and work in an environment that's a hundred degrees every day and humid. And it's, you know, not like the U S um, so anyway, she this going back, this professor kind of gave this whole presentation about how so much engineering has to be done before you actually start building devices. And mm-hmm. all of that is immersing yourself in these communities that you're trying to build devices for and um, understanding them, learning from them, and then also co-designing with them is the biggest part. So trying to really fight against this notion that People from high-income countries make these devices and send them to low-income countries and yay, whatever, Um, and really making more like meaningful partnerships. Yeah, it's a really interesting perspective because I think, I mean, obviously that applies to the medical field as well as, you know, you can't tell a patient, you know, oh, go get this medicine and this prescription and follow this, you know, regimen and that'll make you better without putting them, put yourself in in their shoes and being like, can they afford this medication? Right. Do they have the free time to be able to do physical therapy, et cetera, stuff mm-hmm. like that? So, I mean, that's a really cool perspective. And it's a really cool project. <laughs> yeah. So, and there's, so, I mean, there's so many overlaps into like medicine and qualitative research and clinical research. Um, but yeah, so it became a very, I guess that since then, and for the rest of my college, after I saw her speak, I was like, wait, actually this part of me that really likes like talking to people and sort of digging out problems and understanding these like cultural issues. That's where I was going to go with you next. I was going to ask you. So like you had all this experience, you're doing all this stuff. So was it that talk that kind of pushed you into this direction where we're going now? Or like, when did this switch come? Um, to medicine? Yeah. So I think that that talk like kept me in engineering, okay. um, but definitely still med school was no, no, no. I was a math yeah. engineer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sure. Um, and also I think like I, I didn't know that medicine could be creative and, and could be like really community immersed at that time. Um, 
So no, that sort of just kept me in engineering Okay. And introduced me to a lot of people working on like food access projects in Detroit and sort of this side of engineering that was very social justice focused. Um, but through those experiences, um, working with the same professor later in college when I was a junior, she sent me and a few other classmates to Ghana. And I spent the summer there um, shadowing every day in um, Obigain, or they call ONG. Um, and so that was kind of the first time that I really spent like every day, all day with doctors and with clinicians. And my purpose was to identify a need for my senior design project. So in engineering, everyone who gets their undergrad engineering degree, the last year is this like big project and like a thesis type deal. It's like a thesis for a lot of people. It's like designing a new, I don't know, car part. You make like a robot or something. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Let's just name all the stereotypical engineering things. Yeah. (laughs) Just a garden that plants itself. (laughs) Yeah. Literally. I've actually seen that one. So yeah. Um, And so mine was to go and to identify a need. And we were there for um, like two to three months or something. And that's when I was like every single day with doctors. And I kind of realized like, I'd be shadowing and maybe I'd be in, I don't know, a C-section or something. And I'd be kind of writing down all these things, trying to see like, okay, they need a way to like capture the blood more efficiently. Like we don't know how much blood that they're losing or they need a better suture kit because the sutures are this or whatever it might be. But whenever the doctors, they would always get to a point where they'd be like, okay, engineer, like that's enough information. And I felt myself like really hungry to understand more of the clinical side of it. Okay. So I think that's that experience. And then that's sort of, I've continued a project like based on that summer actually for the past like six years. Um, so, but I think that being like with doctors every day like that was the first thing that kind of, I don't know, hinted at maybe you do want more of this clinical side. Time to get to more school. Yeah. <laughs> um, but because I'm a little stubborn, I like didn't want to believe it, I think. And I was like, you don't want to go to medical school. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think I, I ended up spending a lot of time with midwives in Ghana and that was definitely probably the most, I think, like transformative and eye-opening for me that I really saw the way in which midwives in Ghana, I mean, I think I'm a little biased because I spent a lot of time with them, but Uh I think that they really like lift up and own the medical system in a lot of ways. And Mm -hmm. um, they, you know, they go out and they see women and they do pap smears and they obviously help with births and all this stuff. And I think that I just got to know a lot of them on like a deep level And I just saw how they cared so much about their community and like their whole world was dedicated to keeping their community healthy and helping lift up women and allow women to empower themselves and and, and be healthy. And then, of course, we know like if when a woman is healthy, her family is healthy. And it's just this Uh really inspiring to me. And then I think that really getting to know them was kind of like, wow, I would love to be someone that, you know, can be this person in the community helping um, other people be healthy. Do we have midwives here too? Or is that like... I, I, I personally don't know, like, know anything about that. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, there's midwives in the U.S., but they um, play, I think, a very different role in every country. Um, mm-hmm. I, like, oddly know more about, I feel like, the midwifery program in Ghana than I do in, in the U.S. But in Ghana, they have a different um, a different role because they kind of, like, straddle a, a nurse and a midwife and then even do a lot of things here that ob would do. So... Like, for an example, a gynecologist here would do your, would do your pap smear, um, and a midwife in Ghana would do your pap smear. Interesting. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of like a different role. Because I know they, they definitely do exist here, but I think it's um, – I think in America it's, it's more of just like, a, you know, oh, you know, you're having a baby or, like, you're dealing with this. Go see the doctor. You know, like that, that's, I guess, more the – Yeah, the, and I think, honestly, it's – things are always changing so much that, like, 
I bet you that some midwives do perform pap smears. I don't think that it's like, um, I don't think there's rules of who can do what, but I just think like culturally here in the U.S., more women would go to a gynecologist, whereas in Ghana, you almost would never go to a gynecologist for that. Um, You would like, the midwife is the person who you would go to. Um, Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So then was, so you, was this your like real first time experience? I mean, outside of going to the doctor yourself with physicians and, and like, and did, I mean, someone step in and kind of mentor you along the way in Ghana and be like, Hey, you know, maybe, maybe you, you, you could really succeed here. Um, I think that in Ghana was definitely the first time that I was like, wow, I, doctors are so cool. <laughs> you know, like I think it was the first time that I was just around medicine in that way for sure. But I wouldn't say that that, yeah, no, like mentor sort of stepped in, but I did talk, I'm very close and um, with my boss, who's an engineer that we worked on all these low cost medical devices together. Um, and she certainly was supportive when I was like, you know, I think I might actually want to be a doctor. Um, it was funny cause she like, wasn't surprised. She was like, yeah. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, wait, what? <laughs> they, they always know first. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then she helped me sort of connect to people. But I think that like my biggest mentor was when I moved to New York and I worked in HIV vaccine trials. It was the first time that a mentor kind of like, not, I mean, gently pushed. She wasn't like, you must go to med school, but kind of said like, Maria, look at what you like, look at what you want out of a career, look at what you're like naturally drawn to and like naturally want to get better at, which I think is like something I, I always think about, like what are things that you really want to self-improve on just naturally? And all of those fell into being um, a clinician. So I think that that was when I was sort of more. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Okay. So now talk us through, you've, you've been an engineer mm-hmm. you've, uh, and now all of a sudden you have this internal, you know, thing that you're going to be do this med school thing. Yeah. How, how do you, how do you look at that mountain and where do you start? <laughs> I was like, shoot. <laughs> As are many of us. Yeah. yeah. So I definitely an undergrad, like an engineering saying is C's get degrees. And yeah. I would like to reframe that as C's get degrees and not further degrees a lot. So I definitely was, I mean, I was in a spot, a lot of people were like, yeah, not going to happen. Like med school, no. Right. Cause the engineering kind of can be tough on the GPA and you know, GPA is one of the cutoffs that some med schools use. Yeah. I just, I never, I think that I, in a lot of things in my life, I just kind of like one thing at a time and go with the flow. I'm like, now I'm gonna do that. Now I'm gonna do this. Mm-hmm. And so I never had a plan. So I think engineers who know they want to go to med school, like they find ways to get amazing GPAs, but I definitely an undergrad. I mean, I just cared more about my extracurricular activities than I did about school. Um, and that was something that you majorly have to reassess your priorities if you want to go to med school. Um, so, I mean, for example, I was most Saturdays like in Detroit working um, in like urban gardening and stuff and not studying that doesn't like add up for a really strong pre-med <laughs> GPA. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, so I was definitely really intimidated. Um, and I, I think I always knew that I would get to med school eventually somewhere deep down inside, but um, I definitely was like, how am I going to do this? Um, and had a lot of, I guess, hiccups, failures <laughs> along the way. I would say one of the big things, like as a, when you're on the pre-med track is we're all looking towards taking the MCAT and all that. So what did that prep look like for you? Because now, you know, you went to school not with the mindset of getting ready for the MCAT exam to apply to medical Mm -hmm. school. So did you have to go 
back and do anything or did you just pick up the book and hit the ground running? Oh, I had to go back. Yeah. I, I mean, I didn't have a clue, first of all, like what the MCAT was. So, um, and none of my friends, okay, I have some friends who are in med school. In case they listen to this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all aren't real friends. Hey guys. Yeah. <laughs> um, I didn't have any friends at that time who were applying. Um, or friends that I talked to about that and I don't have any family in medicine or anything like that. So like, I did not know that the med, that the MCAT is something that people like take a whole summer off and study for. Like I was like, Oh, I could take the MCAT while I have a full-time job. Um, <laughs> and that's what I did uh, the first time I took it. So I, I think I was a little bit stubborn that I didn't want to go back and do like a traditional post-bac program because I was kind of like, I can get a, like, I think a flaw that I working on is sometimes I'm like, oh, I can do it all. I can do, you know, I can do things that don't make any sense to fit into a normal yeah. work week. And I'm like, yeah, I will like work a full-time job and study for the MCAT at night and study on the weekends and like somehow still be happy and get, you know, like get a good MCAT grade. And so that, I mean, the first time that I took it, that's what I did. And then I had um, a really honest and helpful um, mentor um, Actually, I mean, not, I really only talked to this person on the phone two times, but they were very helpful. Just, I was like, "Who? I want to get into med school, and you know, I feel like I'm not going to get in. I have a bad GPA, I have a low MCAT, and I just kind of reach out to people like, who should I talk to? Who should I talk to? And that's like a really good piece of advice for people who are applying. Most people will talk to you on the phone. So I would just call admissions directors and say, you know, is anybody in your office? Give me 15 minutes. And a lot of times, like a director of admissions would call me back. Um, and so I just talked to people and people were just very honest with me. That was like, if you want to go to med school, you have to go back and do a post back program. You're not going to get in without it. You have to prove that you can handle the science classes. Um, and so eventually I went to BU and I did their like year MAMS program that a bunch of people in our class actually did. Gotcha. Yeah. I think that's like something that a lot of, I mean, a great advice because I think I'm mean, a lot of, a lot of great things happen or are allowed to those who ask. Like if right. you have the, you know, I don't know, the, the, the gumption to be like, Hey, I, I, I'm really passionate about this. Mm -hmm. Clearly I want, I, you know, this means something to me. Can we talk? Yeah. They're going to see that they're going to reward that obviously. And like you do kind of in ways have to prove yourself, you know, if there are things that are maybe lacking in some regard, they want to see that you have the dedication to be like, I'm not just going to try and push through it. I'm going to go back, fix this. And then we're going to so restart. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Great. Great. And even with that too, like when you call like an admissions place or a medical school, I don't think that goes unnoticed. Like I, I know when I was going through the process, um, my mentor at the time would always be like, call, email, check in. Like we will make notes in your file that like mm -hmm. you are doing that. It shows interest. They were like, you know, you have so many people applying to these programs. We want to know who's genuinely interested right, right. in us. So I'm, think that was a great move that you made, especially just, well, someone who doesn't have the experience of what it's going to be like just to get that information to help you move forward, probably set you off in like a great direction. Right. Right. And I think that, you know, like all the extracurricular things <clears throat> that I did and these different experiences that I had, I do think will make me a way better doctor. And, you know, you, you learn so much outside of the classroom However, um, I also definitely needed that year at BU to be like, hey, this is what studying is. This is what like full-time student, taking your classes seriously, um, focusing 100% on that. And I kind of said, like, I halted all the other commitments that I had and was like, I'm just going to spend the whole year focusing on school. 
And it taught me a lot about like, A, I actually do enjoy studying when I have time to do it. You know, I always saw studying as this like, in college, it was, okay, I'm gonna go to this meeting, that meeting, I'm gonna go to work. Okay, I'll study really quick. And it was always stressful, you know? And then I think uh-huh. that when I went to BU, it was, a, I needed that year, even though I didn't want to take it, to teach me how to study and how to focus on school and how to prioritize. Med school is a little time to also be selfish and be like, I'm learning for myself right now and, you know, becoming the best doctor that I can, mm-hmm. putting all my time into that so that someday I can do you know, a ton of things in the community and, and whatever. Help everyone else. So can you kind of describe like what, go- I, I didn't do a post back. I don't, mm-hmm. you didn't do a post back. Mm-hmm. What goes on in those programs? Like what courses are you taking? Cause I've heard some, some of them are kind of like MPH driven. Some of them you mm-hmm. do like literally the first year of medical school. Well, yeah. What was yours like? Yeah. So, um, the, the one that I did at BU is I, th- I don't really know. I think it was a, the most traditional, GPA boosting is what they call it, like MCAT, or um, sorry, MAMS program. Mm-hmm. So um, master's in medical sciences. And so it wasn't like, there are some postbacks that are for people who have never taken like the general biologies before. And I really fell in the middle because for engineering, you for biomedical engineering, you take some of them, but a lot are kind of a stretch. So even if they'll, like my physical chemistry class, for example, the one I took in engineering checked the box for med schools, but I don't know. You know it was it yeah. did not prepare me. Even like some of my like biochem classes, you know, like I took the engineering one. So sure, it was biochem, but it didn't. It was like, geared towards you. an engineer, right? Yeah, yeah. they were focused in different. Yeah, directions. and so, but anyway, so the one that I took, we basically took the first year of medical school classes at um, BU before BU changed over to a different, like, I think that now they either do organ systems or it's slightly different. So we didn't take classes with the first year medical class, but it was like a simulation of what the first year of med school is um, with some changes. So our anatomy block was very small. We didn't do cadavers or anything like that. Um, Actually, the pathology class, I think, was a lot more extended and kind of interesting because it's almost things that you might not get in med school or sort of concepts that are like really testing you to see would you be successful? Um, and yeah, I mean, postbacks are great. They're very stressful. <laughs> um, I did not realize how stressed I was that year until like I came to med school and was my little bit more of myself again. Um, because it, it's hard. You don't want to become a crazy stress, typical pre-med, but also <laughs> every single test. I mean, I don't recommend doing what I did. So I applied once, didn't get in. And then I started this um, post back whatever master's program while reapplying. Gotcha. So it's like literally I would take a test, get my exam score, and they'd be like, send that to the med schools. You know what I mean? So it's like every oh, yeah. single test. And it became crazy. I would be taking tests and I'd be like, okay, if I get three wrong, that'll be this. And I can send that. And it was, um, yeah, I d- definitely don't recommend doing that. Um, but so a little bit, and you are competing against your friends, which is tough. So it, it was a collaborative and I think supportive environment to as much as it could be when everybody wanted the same goal and not everyone was going to get it. So going off that last part that you just said, so you were saying how like that environment felt kind of like more competitive. How do you find that compared to here now? Because I don't feel like personally, I don't feel like we're that competitive here. Yeah. I feel like we are very collaborative at our school. Yeah. I, yeah, I think that stretch is super, super collaborative and super supportive. And I think it's not that I felt like, I don't think that BU is a competitive environment. I don't think people that I went to that program with are competitive people. I think it's just a difference of what you're doing. So everyone, 
I think in, you know, these pre-med programs, you're really focused on like, I want to get into med school. And it almost becomes like too, too exaggerated, like your whole world. I don't think I ever got there. I've always been Mm -hmm. a little bit more like, I don't sort of like, yeah, I just don't measure myself up to like a test score or really like even my career. Like I think that there's other parts of you that you have to focus on, but like, in that time, we all really wanted this one thing. And I think all of us would do anything to get it, you know? So, and then here a little bit more, it's, you know, we're all going towards the same goal, Mm -hmm. but not really. Like everybody might want different things. Some people want to be family providers. Some people want to be surgeons. Some people see their, like all of our careers are going to look similar, but also very different. Yeah. And I think that there's a lot of learning from each other in med school too. Like some of the best conversations that I have are talking to people about things they did before med school um, or what they find interesting in classes. So they went and like read a bunch of papers on and I'm like, Oh, I didn't really, that didn't spark anything in me. Yeah. (laughs) But then I listen to them. I'm like, Oh my God, it's so cool. Or it's been interesting to me to sometimes, sometimes talk about like global health work. And when you're so immersed in something, you assume that everybody knows, you know, like it's like, Oh, this is duh. But then it's like, wait, why would you ever know this unless, you know, you're unless working you in that space? So I think that being able to share with other people too, I just think that med school is, and we also recognize that you need friends. You can't get through med school without like studying with other people. Sometimes having people to talk to that like are going through the same thing that you're going to, it's just so time intensive. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, whereas like post backwards are kind of like a sprint. Like, I really viewed it as, like, I can do anything for one year. Gotcha. You know? gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So, like, I mean, people that are coming from your perspective to where maybe they didn't go through, like, a traditional mm-hmm. uh, route through college or undergrad, um, would you recommend a post back program or would you just, yeah? Yeah. I mean, definitely. Yeah. I think it's obviously a really big investment, so it's a hard decision to make. Um, but I certainly would not... Med school would be a lot harder if I hadn't done that post-bac. It taught me a lot about how to study. Um, And I think it just, it preps you a little bit for the med school coursework. So, I mean, unlike, I know that some people do post-bacs, like if you do it at Loyola, for example, and then you go to Loyola, you take the same classes twice. So for me, I mean, the curriculum was a little bit different. Like it was more biochem heavy. There was no anatomy. Um, There was no host defense. Mm -hmm. But so I think... It definitely just prepares you, though, in a really good way. And I also think there's something to be said. I, So, I mean, after I graduated college and I was working in HIV research, I was also getting a nutrition degree. So I, I guess that was sort of studying, but it was a very, like, work um, thesis hours heavy, heavy program. There's something to be said about before you're coming to med school to, like, dive back into being a student. So I think that at BU is when I really felt the grunt of, like, oh, my God, studying again and just being in a classroom after, like, working. It's just a different lifestyle. So that's kind of nice. If you've taken a few years off doing a post-bac, I think, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so now you were saying that while you were in the post-bac, you know, you were sending (laughs) grades to schools and all that. Good bless you. (laughs) Oh, wow. That was a big one. You okay? (laughs) (laughs) So like you were sending scores off to schools while you were doing that. So were you also like, were you getting secondaries at this point too? Like, or like, where are you in this path there? Yeah. So again, don't do what I did. It would, I think would be my main (laughs) advice. Um, although I guess I shouldn't say that because I'm very happy where I am now. Um, but so I actually, so I, um, quit my engineering job in like, 
April-ish when I knew that I was going to go to BU and I was going to do the post back after having these honest conversations with people saying, like, if you want to go to medical school, you got to do a post back. Mm-hmm. And so I um, quit my engineering job in April. And I actually, another example of if you email people and say what you want, sometimes they say no, but a lot of times they say yes. I actually just emailed this doctor in Chicago who um, I always admired her work. She does work with health disparities and um, women's health, pregnancy a lot. She does everything. And I was like, hey, I'm going to have these five months between my engineering job that I'm quitting and um, starting a post-bac, and I'd really love to be in a clinical setting again to kind of like inspire myself. And a lot of people were like, no one's going to hire you for like four months, you know, whatever. Like, <laughs> yeah. why would they do that? But she was kind of like, you know what? Sure. Come on down. <laughs> um, yeah. And I think I just phrased it as I was like, you know, like I'm a hard worker and I know I don't have a lot of time, but if there's some like small project that you had, like I could like get a lot done in the summer. And so during that time is when I also did my secondaries. So I made a little bit of money, which was helpful. Um, I was in a clinical space again in Chicago and I did all of my secondaries that summer. And then I started like August 15th, I think at the post program. Gotcha. So, um, how did you approach secondaries? I mean, secondaries are a, a beast in and of themselves because yeah. you get them and then you feel pressure to get them out really quickly. Talk yeah. That, uh, on your end. Um, it's like kind of crazy. I'm going to face it this way, but I'm like, wait, what did I do? It seems so long ago at this point, <laughs> yeah. but um, I just did the best I can. I don't think I was the most organized. Like I pre-wrote some of them. So I was also applying a second time. Um, so I, I had a lot like written and then I changed them to some degree, but I mean, I kind of got the advice that I don't know if this is good advice that it's like, if it was true last year, it's it's still true. When you're reapplying, you don't have to change every word, especially for some of my core responses. Like, sure. Um, but so, um, I just, I did the like four day rule. I tried to get him back in like four days. Um, and I don't know if that, was helpful or not, but that <laughs> myself, honestly, I, yeah, I came home from work and I, when I was living in Chicago doing that clinical job and I just like did as many as I could until late into the night. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, I mean, in terms of applying, you said that you reapplied, did you reapply mm-hmm. to many of the same schools that you had applied the first time or um, different? I did. So I actually applied three times. Um, but in the midst of my third application is when I got into Loyola. Gotcha. So as you guys know, I was like the three days before classes accepted here. I, I, I did not know that. Oh, really? I did uh, not know that either. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Fun, fun times. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, yeah. So I, like, I applied once and I didn't get in and I wasn't, like, terribly shocked. Um, and then I reapplied while I was going to BU and I thought that I didn't get in again because Loyola was my um, only interview at an MD school and uh, it was the last interview day that I got an interview here and then I got put on the wait list and so I like retook the MCAT and I was geared up for a third and I was actually doing secondaries when, um, uh, Dean neighbors called and he was, it was, he was like, Hey Maria, classes start in three days. Oh Do yeah. you want to come? And, then <laughs> oh, I, yeah. and I was like, what? <laughs> I actually kind of thought it was like a joke maybe for a minute. I was like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> what? <laughs> um, but yeah, obviously I said yes. And I packed up all my stuff and I drove out here and. Were you in Chicago was, at that point or were you back no, in Boston? No, no, I was living in Boston. Bo- yeah, I was living in Boston. Oh, wow. Apply yeah, literally applying, applying to jobs in Boston. I just finished the BU program. Um Wow. Yeah, it was crazy. But um 
just, I think that, yeah, life like presents things to you that you're supposed to do. So when he called, it was funny. It was, I was like, this is not happening. Like, <laughs> I think he knew it too on the phone. Like I was just silent and he was like, Maria, I'm serious. <laughs> I was like, I was like, what? Um, but so yeah. And it was funny. I, um, I kind of called like my parents, my family, and I was like, someone has to help me move to Chicago because I just got into med school. They were like, lol. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, no, no, not kidding. Um, Yeah. And then it it, it felt like meant to be though. I was like, I guess maybe this is how it was supposed to happen, you know, like kind of crazy and insane and no time to get anything settled. Just jump right in. Um, Just get going. Yeah. 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 Cool. Cool. Yeah. I mean, I mean, looking back on your experience, what do you think was the most I mean, meaningful experience that you think that helped you maybe stand out or diversify yourself from other applicants, perhaps? Um, I think, yeah, I, uh, let me think. Um, I would say probably like my experiences working in low cost medical devices was maybe the most different because I think a lot of people are engineers. That's not necessarily super unique, but it's pretty, I actually did not know how many people do the traditional route until I got here. Like I actually have a lot of friends who were like pre-meds and undergrad. And since I was in this other world of non-pre-meds, I don't know, sometimes people are like, you're non-traditional. Sometimes I'm traditional. I have no idea what that (laughs) word means. Um, But so I think that I actually met a lot of people here who were like, yeah, I was a pre-med undergrad. I was like, really? You figured that out so early. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, um, I think that being an engineer is a little bit unique, but then specifically working in this low-cost like medical device space. And I would say that that was also the most meaningful experience for me. So as I said, when I was in Ghana that first summer, I was like identifying issues and what I learned is that I was supposed to be shadowing mainly in labor and delivery, and that's where they felt like there was a lot of need and a lot of, like, the clinicians were very excited that maybe there could be a device. And out of the program that I worked in, there have been some super cool labor and delivery devices to come out. But when I was there, I also shadowed in the family planning clinic, and that's where they did cervical cancer screening. And the first day that I was in Ghana, this midwife said, okay, this is the room that we do the pap smears. And I was like, oh, cool, I want to see that sometime. Yeah. And then I was there for like the first six weeks I was there, I didn't see a single woman come in for a pap smear. And so I was like, okay, what's, what's going on? And I just started asking more questions about this. And I learned like how inaccessible cervical cancer screening is in Ghana. And I met a lot of midwives, um, midwives and talked and I was like, well, where are they being screened? Like what's, and I got a lot of answers, but I had a lot more questions. So I walked into the oncology department one day um, at um, Confonoche, which is the hospital that I was at at that time, and I I just said like, is there is there a gynecological oncologist that I could make an appointment with? Like I'm very curious about this cervical cancer screening, and I talked to him, and it was a really transformative moment, and he was sort of talking about like, yeah, cervical cancer is in the U.S. We don't think about this. We get our Pap smears, and for for some women, it's a huge issue still. For a lot of women, it's not. It's something that's very preventable, and you get screened regularly, and it's covered by health insurance. But in Ghana, um, most women can't afford a pap smear. It's about two U.S. dollars, and that's like inaccessible. Holy and God. so, and it's also very hard to get to the hospital for a lot of women. And then the pap smear has all of these like just barriers of you have to have a cytology lab to read it. The woman has to come get screened. You have to be able to call her if there's an issue. She has to come back if it's abnormal. All these like very difficult mm-hmm. things when you're taking a day off work to come to the hospital, when it, the hospital could be four hours away on the on the trotro, which is a bus. Um, anyway, so I talked to this gynecological oncologist, and he said that 
the vast majority, and I think he, in his description, he was like, I think it's, you know, I can't, I can barely think of a woman who came here with cervical cancer and it was in stage one or stage two where it's preventable. He's like, they always come and it's stage four. He's like, and there's nothing I can do for these women. At stage four? Yeah, at stage four. I mean, it just, the, the cancer is... It can be all over their body. It can be too aggressive mm-hmm. or it can lead to having to have a hysterectomy, you know? So it's just like that, whatever. And he was talking about how he was like, it shouldn't be this way. Like we have ways to prevent, um, cervical cancer. And yeah, this is kind of going on a tangent, but so basically well, we, um, I you're, just, you're, you're very, I'm assuming this is where your, um, like where your passion aligns now for like where you foresee yourself going with medicine in general. Yes, definitely. Yeah. yeah. And I think that it was sort you're of very the, well versed in it. <laughs> I've told this story a couple times, <laughs> um, but so I, and yeah, and I'm also very conscious whenever I say this, I always say I, but I mean my team. So we, um, with, you know, fellow students that I was working with that really me and, and my one friend who's now getting her PhD. But so the two of us started talking to a bunch of midwives and we wanted to learn more about cervical cancer. And at first we were like, okay, we're going to come up with a new test of how to like screen women. And it's going to be this really cool thing and whatever. We're like, we're going to revolutionize cervical and had all these like ideas, whatever. Turns out there's a great way to screen for cervical cancer that a lot of midwives like support. And it's very low cost. Basically it's similar to a colposcopy here in the, what, what we, what we call colposcopy in the U S and in Ghana, but they don't use a magnifying glass. So basically all that a woman needs to perform this sort of low-cost cervical cancer screening is table vinegar and a trained eye. And That's I know. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so basically, yeah, it's called, vi- it's called visual, it's called visual inspection with acetic acid. I didn't know what it was either back then. And, um, it's this different way to screen for cervical cancer that it, it's, you know, specificities and its sensitivities. Some people are really not supportive because it is not, you know, as good as a pap smear or sure, as, you know, an HPV test or, get, right. to, or yeah. get access. But what's amazing about it is that it's table vinegar. So it's acetic acid. And basically a midwife applies this to a cervix and they wait for a minute and they look to see if any aceto white lesions appear. So I got a lot of pictures of cervixes. I can show you guys after, but so, <laughs> um, but so you see these kind of these little like discolorations and that means that there's precancerous cells. Gotcha. But the amazing part is that then right on the spot, right then you can perform cryotherapy, um, which is basically freezing off these cells. Uh-huh. And then the woman is good until next year to be screened again. And that will actually prevent those precancerous cells from becoming wow. cancerous. So you need to also have the cryotherapy, which is not the part that I, ended up working on. I worked more on the screening, but, um, I think it's just a lesson in this is like the problem that so many people make when they try to work in different communities. Like we were going to go in and say, okay, we're going to make a blood test or something, this new way. And the, the method was right there. I mean, you know, VIA is an amazing, um, way to screen. And it's something that midwives really wanted. The issue was that none of them or some of them, not a lot of them are trained. Mm-hmm. So these sort of senior midwives that we talked to, they were like, what we need is we need a way to teach our other fellow midwives, like how do they perform this procedure? And we need to have more trained eye. Basically what they're trying to do is replace the cytology lab with trained midwives. And it really puts like the power of screening into their hands. So for anyone listening right now, <laughs> if you ever get asked in your interview to explain something you did, Maria, that was the perfect perfect way to put it you just demonstrated how much you learned like it's very very different to walk into an interview and answer questions say oh you know i shadowed midwives i worked with midwives 
you just demonstrated how much attention you gave to that moment. Mm -hmm. You described that probably better than probably they can describe it. And (laughs) that shows that you understand not only what was going on, but the reasons behind it. So anyone who just listened to that, that is your model for how you answer interview questions. (laughs) That was really good. And you didn't even mean to do that. Yeah, because I mean, that's one of the things is we like to talk about in this show too is is when people go to uh, interview and they get asked questions, you know, they have like in their head, okay, this is what they want me to say. These are the things that like, you know, I need to show and there's right. all this pressure to do, but like true passion comes out. True passion can be, you know, shown. And, you know, when you have something that you're passionate about like this for yourself, um, then you can also show like, yes, I'm inquisitive. Yes, I am ingenuitive. Mm-hmm. Yes, I have personal skills to go and talk to these people and figure out problems that maybe other people wouldn't have figured out from a service level. Mm-hmm. So that's that's really, really cool. We're, we're lucky to have an example of that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, well, I think it's also interesting to like all experiences. I mean, this project, so we basically we went on to working with midwives and working with a team and we developed a trainer that basically teaches women how how you perform VIA, this like, low cost method. Um, so it's funny because it's sort of this project that straddles like a lot of engineers are like, well, that's not engineering because the device is like $20 and something one time we were told by an engineering professor that like really ticked me off was, um, <laughs> is he was like, well, how is that like a senior design project? I could make that training device like in my, in my living room. And I was like, awesome. Because but that means, yeah, but I was just going to say, yeah, I was like, room. okay, then that's awesome. A midwife can also make it in her living room, which is the exact, you know, point. Um, but so it always kind of straddled this, like it's not quite engineering. And then I think I was like nervous that when I applied to med school, it wouldn't come across as like medical enough or clinical enough in, in, in interviews. But, um, yeah, I, I always knew that it was such like, it's just a project that I like have s- so much heart in and like so much of myself in. And it was like good, I guess, for interviews to be able to talk about it. Sure. Yeah. But the bigger thing was that I've had this project that I've like been working on at various levels for so many years. And that's really what's like inspired me to keep on sort of like pushing, you know, and Mm -hmm. like even when I was studying a ton and when I do study a ton now, I get to sort of have this outlet of working on this project and, you know, talking to the midwives and, and, you know, learning from them. And, um, it's just, yeah, it's been really, been really valuable and, that's great. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'm I'm guessing you were able to talk about that in some of your interviews, perhaps? Yeah, yeah, for <laughs> okay. sure. Yeah. It's funny, though, because I feel like I wrote about it in my personal statement, so it wasn't yeah. always asked about a ton because they had read, you know... Already uh, read about uh, it. Yeah, already read about it, but I definitely... I mean, because the project was ongoing, too, I think I talked about sort of like, well, what's happening right now, and depending on when the interview was, it would be, you know, a different a different thing, so... And so we're nearing on on the 45-minute mark. Uh So the last thing that I want to ask you is you have your engineering background. You're now in medicine. Do you foresee you marrying the two at some point? Or do you feel like you're kind of like the engineering was fun, like you're done with it, and now you're going to focus on just more like strict medicine? Or do you think you'll put the two together at some point? Yeah, I think I'll never do like strict any, I don't know, anything. <laughs> That's not how my brain works. Um, it's like always messy in there. It's always a blend. Yeah, it's always a blend. Um, and also, I mean, engineering is problem solving. And for me, I mean, engineering is really, it became this skill of how do I understand people? How do I identify needs? How do I, 
you know, like engineering for me was not in a lab. It was walking through markets, you know, in Ghana, figuring out like, okay, do you have this? How much does this piece of wood cost? Could I make the trainer with this? Um, or it was bringing a prototype to midwifery students and saying, here, play with this. Okay, now break it. Now remake it how you would like it. You know, so it's it's like understanding how do we how do we see problems and then understand them in a really deep way and then find ways to to combat them and. For me, it's like that is always going to be a team of very multidisciplinary people. So to to tackle these health disparities that I think keep a lot of us up at night, and I'm one of them, it's like you need physicians, but you need so many people. You need social workers. You need engineers. You need policy people, economists, (laughs) economists, Uh, (laughs) teachers probably. Like you need so many different people. And so for me, it's I want to be that clinical expert because that's what sort of really interests me. Um, But I don't think that one one person is never going to – um, have all of those hats or whatever, you know? Yeah. So, I don't oh. think that I ever see myself going like back to strictly medical devices. It doesn't excite me. Um, but the way that you look for problems and understand people, like I've never been trained in qualitative research specifically, but I've been able to do a ton of that because of what I've done in engineering. Mm-hmm. So I think that there's a lot more meshing of skills um, in the two fields that definitely – like have helped me in, in medicine. Oh, for sure. I mean, I can't, I can't think of uh, a way in which, you know, like seeing where things are lacking and being able to, okay, this is going to be some way that improves this. Right. It can't, can't come in handy. Yeah. <laughs> and there's like very basic, I think skills too, of like in engineering, it's a lot of, you know, interviewing and focus groups to yeah. understand what the product need is. And then like when I was working at that job in Chicago, I talked about, they were, they wanted me to run, um, you know, help out with, um, interviews and with focus groups, um, sort of looking at like trauma and women, um, and pregnancy. And I knew how to write good focus group questions. So you can always like apply that to other areas. Um, and then, yeah, I guess I have sort of maybe started blending the two fields like this summer. Um, I went back to Northwestern to, to work, which is what a lot of like med students do go back to places they've been before that first summer. Um, but they asked me to run sort of these workshops of design thinking within medicine. So I do think that there's like something to be said for people who have this engineering background to be able to like help people who are in the clinical space learn more about engineering. You know, I think it's harder to go that way to be someone who's a traditional pre-med and then get into the engineering field. So as much as I like can help people sort of see these huge overlaps, um, yeah, I'll enjoy doing that. That's great. I think like one of the biggest takeaways, um, you know, like from everything you said is, is just, you know, immerse yourself in what you're doing, you know, find a passion and really, really learn, like mm-hmm. really, really learn. And, and I think that that is amazing. The, the things that you've been able to do, the things that you're continuing to do with that project mm-hmm. and how that, you know, keeps you motivated and, uh, really, really keeps you, you focused and centered. So thank you so much for sharing everything today. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Well, uh, Mike, any other questions or should we sign it off? No, I'm 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 good. <laughs> All right, sounds good. Well, we signed it off in a specific way. Have you ever heard um, of it? No. Okay, so, so you'll you'll you'll, you'll get it. All right, someone oh started off. Nervous. Someone. Some. Okay, no, he's not here. Uh, <laughs> this is Matt signing off. This is Mike signing off. This is Maria signing off. <laughs> All right, thanks, guys.